Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, what's up? This is Food for Thought, a roundtable discussion by a multiracial mix of queer writers talking about sex, dating, identity, what we like to read, and who we like to read. <laughs> I'm Tommy Pico, indigenous American poet, editor, and airplane barter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dennis Norris II, former figure skater, lapsed violist, and resident rosé queen. Ooh. I'm Fran Torado, writer, editor, and arch nemesis to a one Frankie Grande. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, verse bottom, and master troller of my racist cousins. Oh Here my we God. go. Joe, will you tell us what's on the menu for today? Absolutely. Uh, in this episode, we consider types, who we fuck, who we read, and who we return back to, even when we might want to escape. Dennis is our impure thought this week, and he tells us how he was sipped and twirled. Oh my god. And we end, as always, <laughs> with a high cal, high fat, perfectly difficult to digest dessert. Tommy, mm. take us away. Here we go. Yeah. Nom 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 thoughts. Mm. <laughs> We're starting out this episode with our uproarious appetizer sequence, Amuse Bouche, a small bite for your palate and mind. And we're going to amuse your bouches today with some ridiculously specific cherry-picking profiles, job calls, or other pop culture flotsam. Start us out, Joe. Yeah, so I don't know if y'all know this, but I was on the academic job market this year, and it's a fucking nightmare. Um, And it almost becomes a self-parody. For example, there was a job ad maybe three years ago from an institution in California that I'm not going to (laughs) name. And it it went viral for all the wrong reasons. I'm just going to read a little bit, not even the whole thing. The successful applicant will have at least 25 books on topics ranging from the history of Silicon Valley to the biography of microprocessing to interviews with entrepreneurs to the history of human and mechanical memory. It's like that. (laughs) Will have been published by presses such as HarperCollins, Doubleday Random House, St. Martin's, SUNY Press. We'll also have e-books on topics such as home life in the U.S., home life in the U.K., and water conservation. Will has worked both as a journalist for a print newspaper and for magazines. Will have hosted television and radio presentations for PBS, cable television, and ABC. What? Will have worked in electronic media, such as being an editor for Forbes ASAP or a weekly columnist for ABC.com. Will have co-founded at least two startups. Will have professional connections to Oxford Oxford University in the UK, as well as to numerous media, print, electronic, television in the SF area and beyond. What? The- and this was under the category basic qualifications. Wow. For the job. <laughs> oh my God. You weren't even trying That's- to un- like cover up the fact that you had somebody very particular. They copy and pasted oh the person's God. bio into the thing. <laughs> they like came out, their PR person came out after it went viral and was like, turns out we just copied and pasted the person's bio into That's the job app. Somehow <laughs> worse than Grinder. That, <laughs> that is horrifying. They justified it being like, well, we didn't want anyone to apply for the job who wasn't the one person. We, we didn't want to waste anyone's time applying for this job. Why didn't you just see that person? 
why would you put it then, out? Yeah. Why would you put out a job because they, call? So it's like you have to advertise the job publicly, even if you've already hired someone, essentially. Oh, that reminds mm. me of, like, the Oscars. Overly specific. <laughs> that that seems like they made a mountain out of a molehill, where they oh. could have just put out a normal job description and then not looked at any of the applicants. Or they could have approached the person, because that also happens when you're looking for that does. to apply for a job. I mean, he had already real. taught the class there before, like, two years in a row. So it was, like, this new it policy like, that you have to put it out publicly. Well, well that's fine, but uh, that's just, like, I would... I, I would have thought that my PhD would be enough. Worse than I, a hookup. A person who had one. Yeah. Whatever. Academic yeah. jobs, worse than a hookup. I feel like at least with Grindr, a lot of times, like, some the person shows up at your door and you're not as into it as you were with the pictures, but, like, you still go through with it. <laughs> Dennis, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you're just like, you know what? How on earth? I need this. Um, okay, so I'm going to read a profile from jacked which in new york city it's like the black grinder it's like a lot of black men and the whole idea is that if you're unfamiliar with jacked like you're jacked like the men who are on jacked are supposed to be jacked and super muscular or they're admirers right so profile from fart lover boy Mm. the sideways smiley (laughs) face (laughs) intro i have a huge fart fetish Farts turn me on, both the sound and smell of them. Mm. I am looking for mature adults on this app who are willing to fulfill my fetish fantasy. so romantic. Ideally, I want someone who is very gassy. Well, I I would qualify. And can pass gas around me and on me. Like I'm sage. Op- <laughs> like sage. Sage the place. <laughs> I'm open to relationship and pretty much don't have a type. Only thing I require is that you fart a lot. That's all. <laughs> also, I am a top. I mean... <laughs> and somebody who just loves Brussels sprouts is uh. gonna read that and be like, "We were meant to be." Well, see, bitch, I love Brussels sprouts, love Brussels but they don't give—they don't make me gassy. Mm. Brussels sprouts don't make me gassy. I mean, everything but... makes me gassy. Waking up makes me gassy. It's just, <laughs> I'm in Breathing that stage makes you gassy. Of my relationship boo. where just my boyfriend and I nature. just take turns farting on each other's leg all morning, and that's not a fetish. That's just a relationship. It's genetic. That's it's disgusting. Genetic. <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> we are it's it's because Joe's wor- a working class faggot. <laughs> what does that have to do with my gas? Rich people fart too. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> Um, I wouldn't. I don't know any. So (laughs) (laughs) never heard of her. Still don't know her. Oh please, Um, friend! You know a million rich people. All your friends are rich. I know. (laughs) That's why your job is buying shit. That's not Mm -hmm. totally. uh, (laughs) That's not totally true. I can't. I can't defend that right now. Anyways, Mm -hmm. I will say. Moving on. So I um I don't I don't really use dating apps um and so I, I. had a little trouble with this prompt. However, I will say that just last week, so this is this one's hot off the press. My roommate has just started using Tinder again, and he has been swiping a lot and has been chatting guys. And like, I came home one day and he was like, "I'm really super into this guy. Like, he's so amazing. Like, we've been chatting a lot. He seems really cute. Like, he's actually into me." And I was like, "This is awesome because, like, you know, I was just getting excited for his dating life." And he goes, "Oh yeah, um, his name is." Like, redacted redacted <laughs> um, and i was like oh what's his last name and he goes redacted and then i was like oh 
uh, and he has like a very generic like white boy name. So it could be like another generic white boy with the exact same name. Because Brooklyn has more than one. Yeah, because Brooklyn has more than one of those. They got them with (laughs) more to spare. Um, And so he so he pulls up a photo of this guy. It's like not not just my ex, but like the ex, like the ex that I don't want to talk about or see would not recommend to any of my girlfriends mm-hmm. do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars the primordial like, ex yeah yes. the primordial ex mm. this is like the the ex who like ditched you at a party to go like hang out with a porn star like the ex who like told you that he wanted to move in with you and then like you booked a trip to Thailand together and then like dumped you like a week oh. later. Oh I know right and so mm-hmm. I was just like hey so that guy is not great <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't date him maybe <laughs> Evil Stay friend away. came out, and so um, evil and friend voices are good. I know. Me being a petty label, a petty lubon, um, I decided to take this opportunity to take the most beautiful selfie of the two of us together. We've like all seen it. It's a great. Gorgeous bathroom light. Yes, on a pink wall. We both looked amazing. We both have virtually the exact same features. He, we, like, we look pretty much exactly the same except he has better eyebrows than I do which I hate him for Um, and so I send him a photo of the two of us and he doesn't know that this guy's my roommate I I send it to my ex and I say oh so heard you met my roommate lol oh Uh, oh. guess you have a type Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I love the petty I I love the petty so I was like cool this will be a fun joke and then maybe he'll like riff off it riff on it and it'll it'll be fine and it'll die and he responded with lol yeah Latinos (sighs) and I was like ew I know. Gross. So that's my IRL very specific dating profile. Mm. Can we just take a minute and give a PSA to all of the white faggots out there who have particular affections for gay boys of color and let them know that like fetishizing us for our racial identity or background or telling us we're cute for our racial identity or background is not sexy. My anus just closes up. It's just, it's it. No, that is hard to no. do with him. I do not mm-hmm. self-identify as a poppy. You will never oh, God. refer to me as a poppy. No. No. Thank no. you. Do I sound like a poppy? <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to round out this round of bullshit with, uh, I'm going to do two things. One of them is a profile and one of them is another thing. Not looking for anything, but open to anything. Starts off generic. Starts off pretty generic. Don't be too intense. No pick or no muscle equals no reply. First of all, everybody has muscle. That's just, yeah, we're human beings. So <laughs> if you're a buff, beefy, bearded, brawny bottom <sighs> with dark hair and hazel eyes, hit me up. Don't be a queen looking for <sighs> a king here. Don't be dull. Be exceptional. Be a person I admire, which how the fuck would you know? Right. Uh, be driven. Is it too much to ask for all these qualities on top of someone who is drop dead gorgeous? <laughs> Rhetorically speaking. Like, I could go yeah. on a dating profile um, and like describe Jake Gyllenhaal every time, but that's not really going to be... Also, I like how it's, it's all of these physical characters, and then he's like, trying to talk about be driven. Be like, yeah. yeah. It's, just, no, it's like, you, that's, that's all you really care about. Like, just be honest. Just tell and, the like, truth. You hate gay people, and you hate yeah. people of color. Mm-hmm. And you like, hate women. And That's it. Hey. That's what that means. You and you're... Women. 
a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst. You get our worst of the week award. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, my second is a T-shirt from Democrates. D-E-M-O-C-K-R-A-T-E-E-S. Oh, that's very dot com. That's why I had to do it. Um, and it's uh, the T-shirt says, I want a partner who is down to shatter the glass ceiling, destroy racial oppression, protect the earth, embrace sexual spectrums, reject gender binary, and be willing to take over the streets to create the love and respect I dream about. Oh, oh my God. And I would love it if you can yes. cook, too. Um, <laughs> best of the week? Yeah. <laughs> As t- Tommy is always bringing the best and the worst to I, us. Yeah. You know, get you a show that could do both. That's yeah. all. I got a little In this week's dispatches from Slut Country that we're calling Impure Thoughts, spelled T-H-O-T-S. T-H-O-T-S. I'm going to hand it over to Dennis Norris II. Yes. So this story gets a little bit wet and wild, um, <laughs> largely because it takes place at Fire Island Pines, which <laughs> is often a really pivotal location for me because I happen to have big moments there. But anyway, in this what, is per- the, what are the pines exactly? Yeah. What type okay. of place is that? So yeah, so let, a little bit of gay history for you. Fire Island is one of those places that has long been considered a retreat for gay men. Um, it's problematic. It's a word for it. <laughs> it well... Yes, from from the real world. And the Pines is the primary, like, little section of Fire Island where um, gay men congregate. And you can go and you can be nude on the beach. And it's literally, like... you Like, for me to get there with my friends when we go in the summers, because we're young and relatively poor, we tend to take day trips. Like, we can't afford to, like, get a share there or be there for the weekend. For my friends who have never heard of it before, I describe it to them as pretty much the exact same thing as that island in the animated Disney film Pinocchio where the little bad boys go to do a bunch of bad, naughty stuff and then Mm -hmm. they turn into donkeys. That's incredibly accurate. Yeah. That's yeah. incredibly accurate. And super white and super wealthy. It's super, and super white. And, and that and that's its own thing, which is why my friends and I go for a day trip. And despite all of the problematic aspects of it, because it really is kind of a problematic place, I happen to feel very um, at peace when I'm there. And so it remains one of my favorite, like, perks of living in new york city me too um yeah it's like it's it's still it's still it's still wonderful so i was there and i had been drinking all day with my friends we've got we like should, we do. always yeah like you do we get there at like 10 10 a.m or so and we're just like on the beach and we're like drinking Damn. and we're no, like that is a real thing in fire island you start drinking at 10 you start it's drinking as non, soon as you get there why would you yeah no <laughs> you why would you can't why would you so not far. why yeah. would you not um Can and you so, go to sleep at like two in the afternoon um, Actually, kind of. I, yeah. You do. I often will nap on my blanket on the I beach. Mean, sleep is a word for it. it well, <laughs> so, well, some of us actually sleep because the real action happens at night. So anyway, um, so I'm like wasted. I've been drinking all day and I um, haven't eaten anything because when I go to Fire Island, I really try not to eat just in case, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I um, Yeah. And so anyway, just what happens case, is what, Dennis? <laughs> and then the party migrates this like club area and it's called the sip and twirl mm-hmm. 
And so <laughs> the way the story goes is I'm on the dance floor and I'm wearing a little white bathing suit and it just has a patch of red over like where the dick is covered, but everything else is white and it's wet and I am a black person. So <laughs> like you can kind of see my ass and I'm wearing a little t-shirt over it and I'm on the dance floor just like having a good time, like with my friends and all of a sudden these two men um, just come right up to me, right? And, like, they start, they sandwich me, and then we start making out, and then um, one of them, like, bends down, and he pulls down the rim of my bathing suit, mm. and he just starts, like, eating my ass, like, <gasps> on the dance floor. Oh, my God. Right? Wait, he bent, he, he is down on his knees, or he bent, what? We need the full visual What's, yeah, here. He, well, okay, I wasn't looking at him, because he was behind me. Fair, fair point. But <laughs> he gets himself down. Like yeah. on the ground to some in some way open to interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, open to interpretation, and I and I was also shwa- like wasted, so I really yeah. wasn't paying attention. But he pulls it out and just starts like licking my ass a little bit, and I'm like, oh, this is fun. Like, okay, ew, don't, <laughs> you do not need sound effects. So, so then, no, but I trust me, there's more. So then, after like maybe thirty seconds of that, he like stands up, and we're like not in the middle of the dance floor. We're towards like like the the windows, which are these floor to ceiling windows. Yeah. It's glass, like, all around the whole dance floor. And there's a deck outside. So he kind of, like, he and this other guy just kind of move me over to, like, the window, right? And they plant me, like, so I'm facing, I'm facing the window. And they, like, spread open my legs. And the boy, the guy just pulls down my bathing suit and just goes to town eating my ass. Uh And... There's so you're, whole, like, on display. I am on display. So there's a whole deck of, of gay men yes. right on the other side of this glass window. And naturally, you're they right see this there. happening. And because they're, like, they're just on the other side of this window. out like a fucking Christmas ham. Which, it, <laughs> which is a position I love to be in. <laughs> albeit often with more privacy. Um, but there, so, th- so all of a sudden this entire oh like deck of people is watching this happen back like 50 years. <laughs> and the best part is that I turn around behind me just to like, look at the dance floor and my friends are like staring and they're all in shock. Oh, I would have been one snapchatting of... the fuck out of it. Oh my <laughs> God. One of my friends that I was there with is friendly with the actor Andrew Rannells, who you might know from Spring Awakening and some other shows on Broadway. He was on Girls, and he was in that show, The, um, the New Normal, on TV oh, and NBC the, with weird, Nene like, potato chip. Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, I think he's kind of cute. You know what's funny is, like, in New Normal, he's in a scene at Fire Island. Oh, my God. Well, well, he loves Fire Island. So he's literally, like, maybe five feet behind me. And so I just see him, and, like, I know who he is, and I actually love him because I loved his role on The New Normal because I felt like it represented me a lot. So it was kind of a strange moment to see that he clearly was watching me with the most appalled oh look on his face <laughs> getting my ass rimmed in the middle of the sip and twirl. Are you sure it was appalled? I mean, that's why people go to Fire Island, okay. right? Is to watch that. I did, I did exactly also think that. that. I was like, the, I was like, none of us here are above this. So, so like, I hope you're not judging me. Yeah, like, because this is Fire Island. you go to the Jersey Shore or you go upstate. You right. Go any, literally any other beach. Like, it is, like, it is, you know. That's what you do. A that's place you where do. you could go and just be safe and, like, Bad have money. sex and be... Engage in yep. some gay hedonism. That's go what, what Fire Island is. Yeah, that's so, right. When yeah. You, you go to a library, you read a book, you go to Fire Island, you get your ass ate while Andrew Reynolds watches on the sip and twirl. That's it. That's it. This is what happened. Yeah. I so that went on for maybe five minutes, and then I 
had to stop the guy because I had to run to the bathroom and throw up. Oh, cute. <laughs> because no, I was so that drunk. drunk. And that's how all the best hookup stories end. <laughs> right? And, and he pop. followed me. He, the ending that I thought it was going to take. He held, he held my hair back. But, um, so, but we, he was like, he was that a was nice a guy. Range of I never. <laughs> he if was I a ate nice your ass on the guy. Tomorrow, I'd be like, go puke yourself. No. No, thank he you. He held my hair back. And I'll tell you this. That's because you're heartless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And I really anyway, am. <laughs> we, um, we exchanged numbers. And I haven't seen him in over a year. But if you were to go to our text message conversation on my phone, it's one of those things where he just keeps messaging, hey, hi, what's up? I have when can questions. I see you? Over a year. Over a year. I have two questions. He must have really loved that booty hole. Right. I mean, it's, is, a good, it's a good booty. Is he cute? And was it good? Like, why, why are you not interested in, you know? He was okay. Going on a date. He was okay um looking but well he doesn't he doesn't want to go on a date he just wants to like hook up and like i've been more interested lately in not just sleeping with people and if i am gonna just sleep with people i have like i have archival dick that i can go to at any point to quote a one Hmm. kelly clarkson oh oh i do not hook up (laughs) well i'm not saying i don't i do but i wasn't like, I'm not, I don't know. At that point, for a while, I wasn't looking for that at all. And so I just wasn't that interested. When you're slouching towards archival dick. Yes. Uh, what oh. you slouching, want, <laughs> crawling. When uh, you, you want, um, what, what you're looking for is a kind of comfort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and you don't have to train them. Yeah. Because right. they know. So he but just you hasn't also, gotten into the rotation. Like, can, he hasn't gotten into the rotation. And mm. yeah, I, and I have, I don't know, I feel like I have enough on rotation. So it's like, mm. it's, it's the sort of thing that I feel like it should just be left on Fire Island. Yeah. Like, I would totally hook up with him again if we're there at the same time. Just one little nugget. But it, is Fire Island a gay Vegas? Kind of, yeah. Oh, like what, no. to me, it, it feels like it is. Yeah, I mean, it's like every, the houses are beautifully designed. But some does it, does it, yeah, some of them are also run down. One of the things I like about Fire Island is that it feels also super run down in certain ways. Like, for example, the sip and twirl smells yeah. like mildew and like it's still the 1970s. So it has yeah. this mix of like a lot of the houses there are super, super nice and owned by very rich people. But some of them are also kind of run down and shabby. And a lot of the bars but they're still hella are expensive. run down and shabby. Yeah. Um, That's very very true but I, the, the one thing i will say about the experience though that that was kind of cool is that it did feel very sort of like hashtag vintage like mm. vintage gay <laughs> and like yeah. we're of a generation where like we didn't have to go through any of those experiences mm-hmm. and a lot of it is good but sometimes it was just sort of like oh like this is like my people this is like um, it I, felt like me engaging in history in a way well dennis thank you so much for thank that you dennis endearing and wonderful heartfelt modest Modest. Modest. Mm. My pearls. Really drove it home there. I think what we're going to do now is move it on to our main discussion topic, the meat of our conversation, if you will, the thought process, spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. Considering that we're a show interested in speaking to our culture, literary lives, and our flaming hot thoughtiness, our theme this week is, he's just not my type. Joe, will you take it away? Yeah, so... You know, New York offers a smorgasbord of queer people to choose from. So why do Fran's boyfriends all look like siblings? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even read that before. That is thousands of books are published in every true. year. So why do we keep reading the same authors or writers using similar voices? Do our types frame our lives and give us direction, or are they limiting our imaginations? To start the discussion, thoughts. Okay, what's so your type? I 
I, I want I want to start off with the most reductive way to start off this conversation because it, it's it's an easy the easy conversation is okay we can talk about types as, as a way to racially discriminate against people it's like soft racism in some people's eyes but it's just literally racism just racism however it's just my preference though so, it's just my preference <laughs> I just want to let's put the question back out there if you line up all of my exes you know in a row and every single one of them looks like the the widest most fragile twinks of god's creation like the wind could blow them away like like you could break them over your knee like and also like one korean and one brazilian where does that become problematic i'm turning that back to you what do you think well i i don't know because like i personally so if you ask me when people ask me do i have a type i usually crack that joke and then I, and then the, the conversation moves on so i've never worked <laughs> so i've never worked it past that moment but if i were to try and digest a little bit i mean i have tried dating outside my type um like i i dated this guy who i like to take shit messes and one time i dated a guy who mm. you know was a professor he had already had a few like long relationships he had a salary he was looking at property upstate he was a good person had a master like he had all these things that like made him a built-up person it was like a great person and i was like this Boring. is not my type but like this is not my type but like i'm gonna go for it and it didn't work out yeah. and the reason it didn't work out is because he was just too safe for me this message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury, because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to mercuryinsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care. And even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Healthcare is backwards. Luckily, there's Forward, a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Get ready for a gloves-off spin on the Classic Advice Show with the Dear Chelsea podcast. Join comedian Chelsea Handler and her assistant slash confidant slash co-host Brandon Marlowe on the podcast that offers unvarnished, hilarious, and empowering advice to people from all walks of life. Drawing from her own experiences, Chelsea brings a fresh perspective to help listeners become the person they wish they could be. Instinctively, I would always tell everybody to just like reach for their dreams and, and go for it. And 
take a huge risk in life. It's a weekly dose of in-your-face, unfiltered Chelsea. Oh, I've never wanted to be a mom, mm-hmm. but I could kill it as a divorcee dad. With insights and balance from Brandon along the way. And Brandon is like my little sidecar, aren't you? I am. I'm just here for moral support and a different perspective at times. Yeah, he's more reasonable than I am, so you might want to listen to what he says. Listen to Dear Chelsea on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Gabrielle Collins, period drama nerd, and your behind-the-scenes guide to Bridgerton. On Bridgerton, the official podcast, we're learning how this fantasy world dipped in history came to life. Daphne, her costume design really is about the elegance of simplicity. It's just color and shape. We went old school and we got two scenic artists in who painted the backings for us by hand. These dukes are all like in their late 20s, early 30s. Almost all of them are unmarried, really good looking, and none of them have syphilis. Can you imagine when he looks into your eyes and then he dips you? We just heard this sort of ripping sound. Yep, I think there's just been a wardrobe malfunction. Listen to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. Do you think, though, that, like, asserting a type is another way of not experiencing or, 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 or... rejecting a kind of intimacy because Mm, okay so my type what i tell people is i like tall and busted i don't actually mean that because i've dated a lot of very attractive people but i do actually like tall guys i'm also very tall myself i am six foot two if i'm talking about i only want to date people who are taller taller than me um that's cutting out a large swath of people And I think it's another way that I have insulated myself from intimacy mm-hmm. because then it's just like, I'm, I'm just not fucking with an entire swath of people. Um, and I'm only looking for love and affection from a very small percentage of people. I mean, chances are like if I'm, if I am reject, wholly rejecting people based on that one thing, there are other ways in which like once they meet that criteria, like once they do mm-hmm. reach the six foot five right. that I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm just going to find another way to reject them. I'm going to find something else about them that doesn't really what I would call standards. But, it, but in my case, it was always just about not wanting to be vulnerable, not wanting to actually be in a relationship, not wanting to be intimate with somebody. So like the type is limiting you, but that's done by design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious in this discussion of physical, emotional, and sexual types, is it that you want to be prepared? Is it that you want to be mm-hmm. getting the same thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about this in particular because when something socially devastating happens, I can't watch anything new. Like, mm-hmm. I have to just watch old episodes of Bob's Burgers. That's right. You know, yeah. something like that, something, something comforting, something that I can come back to, something mm-hmm. that I know, mm-hmm. you know, in times of turmoil especially. And I've been trying to fight against that impulse recently post-election because I feel like I have to engage with new things all the time or yeah. else I'm going to be complacent and am I guilty of normalizing or et cetera, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard because it's like, what do you want from love and what do you want from culture? I mean, one thing that is absolutely required from both of those things is to be seen mm-hmm. and to be understood. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's why I say that I could never date someone from generational wealth because I literally just don't think that person could see me. So, like, yes, that is a type, but it really is also a foundational thing in the relationship. And it's the same thing with culture. It's like, in a way, you want to see yourself reflected back mm-hmm. from the culture that you're consuming. And so, 
we all gravitate towards a certain, I mean, looking in the room, like we all consume a lot of queer culture. You know, some of us produce a lot of queer culture. Like we, and we do that because it reflects us and creates a space where we mm-hmm. are able to love and we can see ourselves reflected in, in culture and media. So in that way, like a type is, is not necessarily reductive or bad at all. It's actually like a longing, a needing to be seen as a human, mm-hmm. you know? Should we be less self-limiting? You're not going to get me to date a rich person. It's <laughs> <laughs> just not happening. You don't have to ask me. But no, to date I'm a rich as person. like as as appealing as a trust fund sounds, but like no. I'm really, I'm actually like, I'm really thinking more about like um, some of the other identity markers that I often think about in mm-hmm. my dating life. Like race is a big is a big one. Mm-hmm. I think about this a lot. And one thing that I've talked about is that in my sort of dating record, I've dated a lot of black men who sort of typify one type and a lot of white men who sort of typify another type. And they're the problems in those relationships have been pretty consistent. And like, mm-hmm. to some extent that's me. Can you elucidate a little bit what those, when you say typifies a certain type of black men or typifies a certain type of white men, like what you're talking about? Sure. So in my experience with black men, primarily that I've dated, thank you, friend. I've dated these men who, you know, are sort of hardcore identifying themselves as like masculine men who are only interested and exclusively interested in more feminine um, men to date, usually also other men of color. And so I typify their type like to the max and they're just like, they're there for me. And so it's interesting because the problem, the sort of consistent problems that we have are like one, you know, kind of taking a relationship and making it more serious than it is immediately, like mm-hmm. like very very quickly before we even really with know types each other too, right? It's like someone yeah. fulfills your type, you try to jump from first date. You're to like to relationship, and we we only been texting for a week, mm-hmm. and I'm like, let's have dinner first, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's like that's just one example of like some of those problems when it comes to white guys. It's more often sort of um, white guys who are like professional and they're all like like i've dated a lot of white lawyers for example you mean what like, professional <laughs> you mean like white collar yes like white collar like white collar um professional white men who often have a savior complex too <laughs> and a certain kind of hero <laughs> complex doesn't even make sense okay it's it's just true and then mm. and that sort of for them informs their um interest in more feminine men, often men of any color, not necessarily just black men, I find, in the, with the ones hmm. that I've dated. Um, and there are distinct problems that happen in those, like, problems of a different nature that happen in those relationships. Mm-hmm. And so, like, after a string of this, eventually my friends and I were like, we have to give you the sex in the city talk, where, like, you're just dating, you're dating the wrong men. Like, you need mm-hmm. to be more open to different kinds of men. And, um, which I think is fair, but I also have dated outside of those boundaries plenty mm-hmm. of times as well. So, you know, I don't know. But when I think about the racial aspect of it, because I, for a couple of years, I was like, I only want to date men of color. Um, and then after about two years of that, I opened, I sort of opened it up myself back up because I was like, I have to remember that like, like I can have types and I can have expectations, but at the end of the day, like you never know who you're going to fall in love with and mm-hmm. who's going to fall in love with you. And like, there are no right. rules in this. Um, and so I try to be open-minded about that, but it is tough for me increasingly to to date white men do you think that desire is mutable no Mm -hmm. i I really i don't think so it is i feel like it 
I feel like there's no way I, there are a lot of things I can like block out of my mind, but I can't. It changes for sure. I mean, I have an ex who is my, uh, in the last episode you were talking about, you're that ex, like the ex that like ruined your life and all of your friends hate uh-huh. all. I hated hairy chests. Hated. Like I, oh, God, as, I love as, like, a hairy as chest. like a person who, um, I like have attraction to lots of different genders. Like I always really loved smooth skin, like loved it. And then I dated this person who had a super hairy chest and it was just like, I on him, I loved it. And like now I, I'm, I like it, you know, it's not like, it's not something I need, but you know, so in this case, you, what did you mute? So you muted. It's like my type changed over time. Like, like, uh, like he is, would not have been my physical type before, but like, because I found him so sexy then I found hairy chest so sexy, and I opened oh, me up. I right, mutable, not in the sense of being able to turn desire off, but yeah, mutable in the sense changeable. of changing. Yeah, changeable. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were asking that. Well, yeah, mm. I, I then I do agree. I do feel like it, I t- took way too long to like s- stop going after <laughs> shit bags who don't have anything to do and use Instagram too much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, ended up. Started dating. What percentage of your men do you meet on Instagram in the DMs? <clears throat> At least half. Yeah. At least half. That's a generational thing. That's I have never. That's a generational. It is. As I'm a generation below you. Yeah, about a full decade. Yes. <laughs> uh, or I mean, not below. This isn't pejorative. Right, it's just right. different. It's I mean, right, right. a generation younger. I met everyone I know on Adam for Adam. Like that. I don't even see. I'm right. I, don't even know. Know. I, I never. I never Adam for Adam Manhunt. Yeah, that was one. That was it. I, Wait, yeah. was that it a was, website or an it was app? a website? It they was were before apps. Before apps. Before apps. Yeah. Before I'm going to pivot a little bit though to like literary types and bring this discussion over into our reading and writing lives. Did you guys read things that were in the canon because you had to? Did you have? Do you read only in your type? Do you like challenge yourself to read outside of it? And to on that a little bit, because I, I feel like you know we've all had cause to reject canonical literature for one reason yeah. or another. But mm-hmm. is there some canonical literature that you have actually really responded to? Mm. I mean, growing up a lot of it like i love dickens growing up they were great oh my god stories. that's what i was gonna say um i love know, tale of two cities that i love me cry i love i don't know if i would like it now but at the Agreed. time and really i've made it a project as an adult kind of going back and reading some of those classics of literature that i loved growing up to t- try to re- read them as the reader that i am now which is mm-hmm. very mu- much more critical than i was obviously at, at 14 especially at 14 being in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere um and i don't know if it would a lot of the things I read them now, and I'm like, what on earth? <laughs> <laughs> <Is> I, <laughs> let's see. I I actually really love Middlemarch. What? I love Middlemarch. I think it's like the funniest fucking book I've ever read. I love Middlemarch. And um, when I was in when I was a junior in college, the Sorry. big thing. No, it's. I think it's funny too. Um, the big thing to study. <laughs> I'm sorry, the big class that you took as a junior English major at my college was the junior seminar. And the first semester was poetry. And I loved, like, a lot of the traditional poets. Hmm. Um, and then the second semester was um, Ulysses and Middlemarch. And hmm. I loved Middlemarch. I hated Ulysses. Oh, I was the opposite. I loved Same. Ulysses and I yeah. hated Middlemarch. Tommy, do you, do you read and love any of those old dead white <laughs> Tommy's <poets>? like, who? <laughs> um, I don't have as much experience um, 
with canonical literature simply because I didn't take literature courses in college. Mm. Or, after, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought I was going to go to medical school, so I just took natural sciences and, and, and math and shit like that. Um, but I will say that I surprisingly have found myself really liking Moby Dick. Because oh, I, it's great. No, Moby Dick is the most homosexual it, book. On I was going to say, so like, good. I don't know if I would have yeah. read it as an undergrad. I would have understood it as much now that so it's, it's like it's gay yeah. as fuck and it's really funny. Yeah, I yeah. like its tone was really hard yeah. to discern for me at first because I was like, I don't think this is as <laughs> self serious as other people make it out to be. Right. You know, I think it's actually really playful. It's jingling your balls a little bit. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's jingling jingle your balls. Your balls. <laughs> I mean, another thing about that book is that I mean. So that book was written as like a crush piece for his like then man bro boyfriend Nathaniel Ugh. Hawthorne, right? Yep. Like he was mm. head over heels in love with Nathaniel Hawthorne, went into a cave, took like <clears throat> however much time to like write Moby Dick, and then he brought it back to Nathaniel. Was like, do you like it? <laughs> and then Nathaniel like looked at it and was like, yeah, it's okay, <laughs> it's, it's good. And then he like wrote oh, the so opener. He's like, this book is. It's okay. good. It's, okay. it's fine. He was basically <laughs> like the I, Mariah Carey. I don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> but like one of my favorite things about that book is that I, I have actually a difficult time calling it a book because it is so exhaustive and doesn't – it has a linear narrative, but they're just like – 90 you'll read 90 pages about like the semen from the whale that makes candles or whatever like you'll read like (laughs) huge chapters that are just literal scientific text and you're like what are you doing girl like why are you talking about this for like 80 pages it feels more to me like a bible and in different segments of it talk on completely different themes because it really touches on like any possible thing you could well, and I think because of that maybe one of the reasons why I responded to it and because this is my type and I fuck with this shit all the time is it, it reminds me more of a long poem yeah mm-hmm. um, yep, an yep, epic yep. poem yeah. Epic, yeah. And, I, and because like you know I, I'm, I'm reading Aliens and Anorexia right now by Chris Krause and I was trying to and who wrote I Love Dick I love and Dick, yeah. a lot of other stuff um, and to me like although it's it's ostensibly a novel it also meanders a lot and it reminds right. me of long poetry it reminds yeah. me of ep- epic poetry that surfaces into itself every now and then and then ebbs out a little bit absolutely i've never What's, thought about that one of the things that's frustrating to me about like capital l literature as it exists right now is that like commercial literature doesn't allow for this type of weirdness enough mm-hmm. right the type of, to have a to have a novel or a narrative that ebbs and flows with sections that are like not necessary to the plot points, you know, like Chris Krause, her work that. would not be published by a major yeah. house if she didn't have a big name. Right? Yeah. And, and most of her stuff was not published by a major house, but like, because there's been a cult following for so many years, now it's going to be a fucking TV show. So right. Like it's, yeah. I think that's one of the, the downfalls of publishing like commercial publishing that it doesn't really allow can you imagine Herman Melville bringing his Moby Dick manuscript to like Random House right now and being like, publish me and be like, who the fuck yeah. is this? They're like, well, we just so have bizarre. some thoughts. But like, it's a brilliant book. Yeah. I feel like it, yeah. The pressure of commercial fiction or commercial anything really yeah. is for it to kind of stay on message, right. to give you something linear, mm-hmm. to uh, go through your A plot, your B plot, right. the rising action, the falling action. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's in a way. Um, it's consumable. Yeah, consumable and Polished. formulaic. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but, but with epics, like 
you get not it's not only the experience of uh quote unquote content uh you're not just getting a story but you're living with something yeah it gives you an experience of time that That's is right. unlike anything else you it, it becomes a part of your life so what you're doing in your life becomes a part of the book that you're because reading life is nonlinear, mm-hmm. right like so art that is meant to reflect how we actually live yeah. by definition has to be nonlinear in some way yeah. And I think about like uh, what, my struggle, like some of these books that do allow for that messiness in like high literature are mm-hmm. always by straight white men. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, the, oh, those are the people who are allowed to meander mm-hmm. mostly. Ulysses. You know, Bruce. Since we've yeah. talked about like kind of like surprising literature that we found ourselves fucking with. Uh, that is like typifies maybe um, an essential part of what it is that we're attracted to in literature, music, and pop culture. Um, I would like to just hear from you about a few, like when, if you would talk about what's your type in terms mm. of what you consume, mm. uh, what, what do you think reflects your type? That's easy for me. I'm Hilton Owls all the way. Long, smart, nonlinear, like pop culture, Mm-hmm. But like, like in, you know, he'll quote a theorist and a sitcom in the same sentence, and it'll have two semicolons and, and an M dash. Mm. So for me, my three writers I would say exemplify my type or typif- typify my taste would be um, Elizabeth Strout, who writes these beautiful lyrical, like long sentences, beautiful prose. Uh, Arundhati Roy, who wrote *The God of Small mm-hmm. Things*, and then has a new all, novel, I guess. She has a, she has a, she has a new novel coming out this year. I'm so excited in 2017. And then actually, this African writer named Taye Selassie, who published a novel a couple of years ago called mm-hmm. *Ghana Must Go*. Mm-hmm. And what I will tell you that that struck me as that being my type is that that when I read that book, it completely unlocked. Um, what I had wanting my book to do on a language level. And I immediately started rewriting it. I love um, that. And it, it just like, it gave me permission. And the other thing is that I knew what was inside of me that it was speaking to immediately. Because I remember that when I started reading it, I got to the second paragraph on the first page and I immediately went to Facebook and I said, I just started reading this book. And this, this writer has clearly been influenced heavily by Arundhati Roy because this is almost mm. like a slightly more contained her prose is almost like a slightly more contained version of Arundhati Roy's mm. um, and then when I finish whenever I finish a book that I love I then start to like seek out resources and information about the author about their process about all the work that went into producing the book and I listen to interviews and, and read interviews and whatever and in several interviews she said that when she's reading fiction she doesn't when she's writing fiction she doesn't really read fiction other than a couple of books that she will constantly return to mm. um and she has said almost sort of like songs remembered. And one of them is The Bluest Eye. And another one of them is The God of Small Things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's right. Like, it's right there. And I was like, this is. You see that. Yeah. Your sweet spot. <laughs> yes. I feel yes. like I have so many different kinds of literary types. But definitely the one I can think of is when I first read The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde by Juno so And But the, the tone. Oh. Because the book itself is is a fucking incredible feat. But the tone like leaps off the page. The Mm -hmm. voice is just like right there. It's palpable. When I was first in writing classes, I would always do that thing where like you address the reader in a very storybooky way. You say like, oh, didn't you hear? Like you're just like acknowledging that the reader is there. And I also like fucked with footnotes in like the first draft of my novel. And Mm -hmm. I I did it really poor. I'm not saying like I did what Juno Diaz did before. (laughs) I did it in a really shitty way and he did it first. But like I remember reading that 
and being like, wait, these are all the things that like my English teacher told me I wasn't supposed to do. And like, he Mm -hmm. doesn't italicize Spanish words. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, these are, that's something that I was told I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Like because of who you were writing for, right. Or or who was your Mm -hmm. audience. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, but I, I mean, Juno Diaz is definitely my number one, but I also just, I love like middle-aged suburban white mom literature. Like I love mm-hmm. Cheryl Strayed. Oh, I great, love though. Elizabeth Gilbert. I'm so sorry. Everyone in the room just <laughs> winced at me. They were like, ew. <laughs> what are you talking about? I farted. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't giving you a face. That's that was for me. No, that was, well, and Tommy, when is, we smelled it. So what is your type? Yeah. I love long poems. And I, I think I love long poems in the same way that I love raisins. Nobody else really likes them, so I don't have to share them. Okay. You know? Oh, my <laughs> God. That is so true. Um, Do and, you have but, any favorites? But I love... Well, here's the thing. Like, anything that is allowed to be strange, yes. that is allowed to kind of go off the rails a little bit. And, and I think, too, it, it requires a different kind of attention. And it requires that you submit yourself to the text. It oh. doesn't give very much to you unless you give it something. And as a person from an Indian reservation and kumyai and and you know i i there's this whole historical idea of the noble savage or the or of indian people being stoic or whatever and like not showing a lot of emotion and it's because like we're not showing emotion in front of y'all when you you come if you're a part of the group i mean indian people are some of the funniest most like off the rails kind of people and 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 so I, I, and I identify with that, like want, if you, if you're going to get my wit, if you're going to get my humor, if you're going to get my, my life or whatever, you have Requires. to submit to my rules. Yeah. Yeah. You have to come to my house, yeah. you know? Um, and so that's what I love about long poems. And I feel like that was, that that's a, a way in which they typify me because sometimes you get like 70 pages in and you're like, yeah. oh, that's what the fuck they were talking yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and it's relevatory and it's beautiful yeah. and it's overwhelming, but you wouldn't get there if you didn't mm-hmm. do the work. Mm-hmm. So I like, I, I love, I like being made to do the work. I agree. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like submitting. I do. Uh, <laughs> well, we are and this all is, shocked. This is the same. It's the same conversation, right? Of like creating art and asking your reader, asking the person who's consuming it to do a little work. Mm. And I feel like in many ways, that's like the definition of like, that's what makes like literature, literature. That's like what makes art, art. God. Mm. <sighs> Another, I mean, I totally agree with all these points, but on the flip side, I hate working for my reading, no, which is why I, I like all which, this, which, is which is why, why yeah. lo- which is why I love Cheryl Strait and Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, I, sometimes some like that. I mean, it's kind of the little life problem where, oh my god, I shouldn't talk about little life, but Go I feel for like it. I'm two glasses of wine in, but it's just kind of like. <laughs> It's the thing where it, it's a it's a it's a feat of a book. It's a brilliant book. I'm super glad it exists, but I had to work so hard to get through that book, yeah. and is she it, knows it, and everybody else had to work really hard. But that's I, I, is it, I love, what, that what kind of work was it though? It is emotional work mm. because and there's nothing super complex about the structure or about the tone. Like the sentences, like kind of drag on in a really poetic way, so it's a, a, like a little challenging, like structure wise and and sentence wise but other than that it's it's really it's pretty simple it's just all emotional work and i myself have never been as emotionally exhausted by a book do you think that's fair i think that she'll take that as a compliment i think she would take that as a compliment too and she knows uh, so after i read the book i really did not like it and would not recommend it to anybody and then i kind of heard her speak about the book um in her own words and she was just kind of like 
Yeah, and sh- she didn't name these books. I'm naming these personally. This is not quoted by her, but it's like, you know, the Fates and the Furies and like the motherfucking Franzen books and all these books that are mm-hmm. coming out right now that have like really pretty covers. They're super polished and they they, yeah. they sound really good. And when you read them, you feel great because it's yes. like a perfect ending and it's a perfect book. But she's like, that's not what a book's supposed to be. That's right. She's like, you're supposed to be making the mistakes on the page and you figure it out and if I have produced something and I had to meet a deadline and I'm publishing it with some mistakes that's kind of a good thing isn't it because we all make mistakes and and that's how life is too different readers are different right so as a reader if a writer doesn't trust me to do the work I don't trust them like mm-hmm. I absolutely that's that's the thing I can't mm-hmm. even read books for consumption that are that are written that way it's just I I fell in love I the writer that made me want it the writer that made me want to be a writer was Faulkner and it was actually not any of his big books it was Go Down Moses where I had read a bunch of his books and I loved them and so I was reading Go Down Moses it was kind of this hybrid it's like short stories it's like a novel and stories you're like yeah I don't know what this is and I'm reading this thing and it's like this bear hunt and I don't get it like what the fuck is going on and then you go through all of this struggle and get to two pages that are transcendent yeah and made my, mm. they made my skin tingle and and I'm like I wouldn't no book has ma- had made me feel that way or very few I could number them on one hand that had made my skin tingle mm. and I was like if I hadn't gone through that 80 pages of slog yeah. I would not have had this feeling mm-hmm. and it's like a drug I mean it really is it was incredible. It's like an abusive relationship. Yeah. It is in a way. A little like, bit. I, hate it. I mean, why are we in motherfucking New York City? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an abusive true. relationship. New York yeah. will never but love you back. But it has those transcendent moments. Yeah, it and does. And so we do it for that. And you, you submit yourself to yeah. it. I think yeah, I feel really this... foiled me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do something right now. And I don't think, I don't know if you're all going to agree with me. Uh, I th- this is totally uh, in the spur of the moment or on the sperm of the moment, as my dad used to say. <laughs> <laughs> but if we're talking about types and we had just talked about what our literary types, let's just go around and, and, and do our Spotify most played no. songs. Oh my no. God. No. <laughs> oh my. Oh. have our Spotify. Okay, so oh I, I can go first. It's fine. I'm so mad at you for this. I'm this pissed. is going to be. This is good. This is fun though. This, this is, is going to be this so embarrassing. Sadistic <laughs> asshole. Who's going to go first? Little bastard. I'm throwing it right back to you, Tommy, because you brought this up. And yeah. so I'm going to so make you jump on the fucking grenade. Okay. Well, oftentimes I, uh, Use this. I use Spotify to um, figure out what songs I want to do for karaoke. Just say it. Just say (laughs) it. So my number one is "Hold On, We're Going Home" by Drake. No. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Which is a song that I sang at the writing conference where we all met each other this summer at Tin House Summer Writers Conference in um, in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Just hold on, we're going on. Uh, the next one is XO by Beyonce. Yep. The course, third course. one is a song that by my ex-boyfriend. What? I know. <laughs> and uh, the next one is uh, Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman. And to round it out, my number five is Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House. Do you know that song? Oh, my God. Hey, duh. now, hey, now, don't dream it's over. I love it. Oh, yeah. Have you, heard, have you ever heard Yes, the, I have heard the Ariana Grande song. version. Yes, yes. So good. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. It's, it's so, so good. good. You just want to fuck each other. I love it. I know. I'm it's sorry. Amazing. I'm sorry. I was no, flirting. I'm sorry. I was flirting. <laughs> I'm going to go back to so that I don't have to go last. 
Um, I can go next if you want. Oh, bitch. Oh, no, you can go. Um, Whatever. Sorry. My number one is Ain't That Easy by D'Angelo, because it's fucking incredible. (laughs) And then I have my emo white boy, Sufjan Stevens. Of course. And then, you guys, I'm super embarrassed by this, and I want to skip it, but I'm going to tell you the truth. It's a song from Hamilton, which my boyfriend is in. I hope he's not Boo. listening. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I haven't heard of it before. I know. It's, it's, it's a little show. It's like very off, unexpected. Off it's or... double off Broadway. Okay. So it's a it's deli like, meat. They're like struggling to <laughs> make it. Don't laugh at the motherfucking mic, Tommy. <laughs> oh, deli um, meat. After Damn, that, that is, was vicious. Uh, Kendrick Lamar. Okay. Okay. And rounding it out is... Oof, the embarrassing one, Justin Bieber. Sorry, which one? Which oh Justin my God. Bieber? Sorry. sorry, okay. Oh, yeah. he said sorry for a song called "Sorry." Uh, sorry for sorry. Um, so uh, mine I is uh, I, there's this Spanish <laughs> pop song. She's basically like she's like a reincarnation of like a Spanish Joni Mitchell kind of. It's "Para Que Sufrir" by Natalia La Forcade. I really recommend her. She's amazing. <laughs> okay. But if you listen to it, it's actually pretty embarrassing because it's really like saccharine and sweet. Um, we have t- just like you. Uh, I know, right? Just like oh god, I started to play the song as it was happening. It's fine. Three glasses in, you guys. Um, a cover of "I Love You Always Forever" by Betty Who. Um, the Unaccompanied Cello Suite Number One in G Minor by Yo Yo Ma. Hipster. I don't know any of these people. You I mean, guys, I know Yo Yo Ma. I mean, uh, look, I went through a phase where I listened to this one Yo Yo Ma album like for three straight days. This is just like I what mean, I do. Amazing. I have a lot of. Was it from the? Was it Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon? <laughs> no, it's oh, not. Oh, the my God. Wait, which suite? It's which suite number is it? It's um well, in G in G Major. Oh, that's the first it's one. The, first the prelude. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I so, that. Um, sorry, I had to click it in order to find out what it was. Lapsed and then, to be list. Lapsed um, to be I know, right? And then, <laughs> "Baby Love" by the Supremes. There's also some Carly Rae Jepsen on on here. But yeah, I mean, run away with me. Though. I love that song. Well, actually, it's first time because I listen listen to the B side quite a lot. But however, if this was again year, hipster, he was um, to Carly Rae Jepsen. Such a hipster. B-side. Okay, Carly Rae Jepsen <laughs> is ahead of her time. Okay. <laughs> She is I'm, I'm with her phenomenal. on this. I'm with her on this. Dennis, bring, her. bring us home. I don't know her, but I'm with okay. her. Okay. Um, okay. So, full disclosure, my phone died. So, I'm sort of um, you were guessing. Making I'm taking some guesses. Making no, I'm taking some guesses, but I feel like it's pretty clear. And I primarily use iTunes and not Spotify, although I do have Spotify. Because Lemonade would be on all our lists. Um, yeah. Let's so, be, right. So, it would be five songs so from Lemonade. I was going to say, number one. Um, <laughs> my number one most played song of the year undoubtedly is sorry from lemonade like it's just like mm. that is my song mm, i that video too oh, right Jesus, we I, are not worthy we're really I, are not worthy i walk we're living I in the golden age of beyonce i we love her i mean it's she's beyonce's world war just she's everything um <laughs> and so well yeah I, it makes me want to like twerk on my way to work like when i, I like <laughs> I don't twerk down the street like it's it's amazing that's so on brand it's so but it's also, it's just amazing. Um, so the second song would actually be, it's a little bit more recent, but um, Weary from A Seat at the Table oh, is like so my everything as well. Mm-hmm, like I'm listening mm-hmm. to that hardcore, hardcore right now. I was singing that on the way to the it's studio. It's the yeah. of the world. On the way. It's, it's, it's just amazing. I, I, this was just such an incredible year for black art in like so many, like if I can just take a and moment. And then a shit hey, year for everything, like everything else. Everything, yeah. <laughs> and then a shit year for everything else. And so my, I'm trying to make sense of a world where Solange could be number one on Billboard and we can elect a fucking orange Cheeto. Talk about a divided like, country. Right. Yeah. Like, like I don't understand like, that world. It's extraordinary. 
Um, sorry. So my my next song is um, this random piece of music called Exogenesis Symphony Number no. Three by Muse. Oh my! Um, which I <laughs> it's this beautiful figure skating piece that are people that people figure skate to. Yeah, it's it's a lot of my music comes from that. And for I those of you who don't know, Dennis is a. Um, has been figure skater. A has, has been. been figure skater. <laughs> God damn. Extract glasses of water. I'm sorry, what's the euphemism for has been? <laughs> a former figure skater. Right, sure. That's the one. There okay. is like And is how many gold medals do you have? <laughs> I have some. I you know there's the way. some cloud passage overhead. There is deep shade in the I'm this wearing room a gold right pen and green point <laughs> is in the dark right now. It is so shady in here. Um so <laughs> let's just there there is there are a row of medals in my home. Um, um, I mean, I mean. <laughs> by the way, so um, metal dildo. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't have one of those? I actually don't. Those I sound don't. expensive. <laughs> oh, um, so Muse, um, Haley Steinfeld's "Love Myself." Oh my god, which I'm obsessed with. I don't know her. She she's like sort of random. She was in that movie True Grit a few years ago, yeah. and then she like came and out then with an did album nothing a year ago. Else. No, well, she came out with this song called "Love Myself," which is all about masturbation, and it's like really fun, and I love really? it. And then okay. "Winter" by Tori Amos. Mm-hmm. Oh, the good song answer. Very I good. love that. Do, 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 do. All right. Well, on that tip, I've got that full, but I could fit one more thing inside of me one feeling. So mm-hmm. I think it's time that we move on to our dessert. Yes. Mm. For those of you who have never heard of Eartha Kitt, and if you haven't heard of Eartha Kitt, I'm a little disappointed. Look, just because you didn't know who Shad Day Day was. was. (laughs) (laughs) Is this going to be brought up every episode? (laughs) Yes, likely. Highly likely. You guys, listen. Eartha Kitt, if you don't know her, you I mean you you may know her from uh, she popularized the song Santa Baby, but she also was Yzma in the Emperor's the animated movie Emperor's New Groove. But before <laughs> all of that, she was a renowned singer, actress, and performer. Yes. But what a lot of people don't know is that she was pretty much shot on her entire life. Imagine her. She's like five. She was abandoned by her mother, was put into an adoptive family that essentially enslaved her in her own home. Like she was picking mm-hmm. cotton when she was five. She was adopted by a Christian mother who didn't want anything to do with her, but like took her in on Christian obligation. They moved to Harlem and she eventually kind of started getting into the nightlife scene where she kind of found her way into dance. Um, when she found her way into dance, she was discovered by a one Orson Welles Oh, I know. I know that. And that's how she got her start. So Orson huh. Welles was like, I want you to be in my next play. That's literally what happened. She, within three years, she produced her first album, which had Santa Baby on it. Oh. So the girl moves fast. She became renowned. Like she can sing in tons and tons of different languages. She's, she sings tons of different languages. It has this gorgeous kind performs. of a raspy voice. Well, she has like a little like thrilling. Yeah, she's got a... She had her signature purr vibrato. Kind of thing that she did, and the other thing that she was really well known for is that she was incredibly sexual, um, mm-hmm. I- incredibly sexual in a very repressed society right. in which mm-hmm. it was still over half of the states biracial sex was illegal. Right. So she 
um, was the second person to play Catwoman in the Batwoman TV oh. in the Batman mm-hmm. TV series. I know, right? You guys are just learning all about I this. knew that. Oh. I knew um, that Julie Newmar was first, I think, yeah, and then and it then was it Eartha. So while she was, I know at, some things. <laughs> at the time that she was Catwoman, <laughs> Jet Magazine was producing was producing their magazine, and on the back page of their magazine, they had a thing that just said TV radio, and it was a full list, a basically yep. full list of every single black person that would be appearing on TV and radio that week or within the coming weeks. And it was usually a very short list. So the, the idea that a black woman can play a very major character in a very popular TV show at that time is unheard of. And she was incredibly popular except with the people that she wasn't popular with, which were like basically men that she had dated and people (laughs) who like slut shamed her basically. Um, And her, the most defining moment of her career unfortunately was when she was invited to the white house um for a dinner with the first lady and a bunch of other people Um, who wanted to talk about race i believe it was a luncheon it was a luncheon lady bird johnson a luncheon with lady bird johnson where (laughs) the first lady lady bird johnson (laughs) asked eartha a question they she asked her her opinion on the war and eartha gave her opinion and it was not a positive one no and after she gave that opinion she was she made Headlines. The first lady, Lady Bird Johnson, cry uh-huh. in public, which is a thing that I wish I could put on my resume. White fragility. And then the Secret Service. Honestly, my favorite was the, I saw an interview with her this morning because that's all I did was watch Eartha K interviews this morning where Eartha goes, no, I didn't see her cry. Yeah. Like, just like, I, did not, I did not. She didn't cry. You are both doing very good Earthas right now. Can you do we that again, Joe? I really don't think I can. No. <laughs> um... But what happened was the Secret Service um, hired the CIA to to take her out. Yeah. And so the CIA really- To take her out? No, not to take her out. Like Build a dossier on her and release it, leak it to the press. And so the CIA released a public statement that said, literally, she's a sadistic nymphomaniac. So, and that is something that will, that was, is in literally every single article about her her for the rest of her Her agents, she said in the interview that I watched this morning, her agency- quote unquote lost her contract. Yeah. That she had already signed to do a bunch of shows. Yeah. So she was like basically blacklisted and was yeah. forced to move to Europe where she did a bunch of performances and like dive bars and shit. Yeah. So she didn't really see the the that she saw the end of her career then and it kind of ebbed back up when she was in Broadway and later sure. in her years. But there's this fantastic fucking interview that she gives towards the end of her life and I believe it's in her documentary but I actually can't rem- remember where she's talking about love and compromise mm-hmm. um, and what does she say about I love watched and it with compromise? my boyfriend this morning I don't I think that is what precipitated our awful fight actually thanks they got in a fight over an Earth espresso it. pod we are such faggots <laughs> like we um, got in a fight over yeah, espresso hashtag pods hashtag partnership <laughs> but, an, but Eartha I mean it's a, it's a life. it's an argument of contention because not everyone would agree with her but basically the interviewer is like but are you willing to compromise within a relationship what is compromising compromising for what compromising for what reason to compromise for what to compromise what is compromise if a man came into your life wouldn't you want to compromise (laughs) stupid (laughs) a man comes into my life and I have to compromise you must think about that one again. <laughs> a 
man comes into my life and you have to compromise for what? She says, I fall in love with myself and I want someone to share that with me. Mm. I want someone to share me with me. Mm. That's what she says. And so I feel like, I mean, I have it tattooed on my body. But other than that, I I do feel like I can't believe you haven't had a successful relationship for (laughs) it. I just relate to it because, I mean, I don't have a, I have nothing I my life life does not align with Eartha Kitt's in any way. However, I've gotten shot on in my life, yeah. and if you understand Eartha Kitt while looking at that interview, you understand that she's got shadow on her life. She's like, yep. what the fuck am I compromising for? Mm-hmm. But if you don't yeah. know her, she sounds like a sociopath. And I feel like that all the time. Like, not with my friends, with my family, with people that I interact with. When I want to be a little vain or when I want to take things for myself or when I want to give something to me, I feel like a lot of people who don't know me view me as a sociopath or they think I'm selfish or they think I'm arrogant. And people who do know you think you're a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> so really, what's the difference? Yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, but anyways. <laughs> Love you. I just want to eat oh. Eartha for dessert yes. this week. That's all. And always. I think she's fantastic and wonderful. Fantastic. My I'm... first exposure to Eartha Kitt, I just have to say, was the Harriet the Spy film when oh, I was like eight years old. That's one of her good ones. I just, I, I just, I have to, because she's in it. She's in it. It's amazing. She's also in the movie Holes, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Uh, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Oh my Gorny God. Weaver. No. <laughs> All right, well, on that, I think it's time that we get out of here. Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé. Our engineer is Tom Tierney at Spaceman Sound Studios in the heart of Industrial Greenpoint, New York. And our producer is the very patient Julia Alsup. I'm Tommy Pico. You can find me at HeyTeebs, H-E-Y-T-E-E-B-S, on all relevant social media. The BS is strong, Tommy. Shut the fuck up. I'm Joe Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. And I'm Fran Gerardo. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. on all relevant social media. And also irrelevant social media, like I'm on Tumblr, too. Oh, girl. <laughs> um, and I am Dennis Norris II, and you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden, T H E E A R L D E N D E N, or my website, www.dennisnorrisii.com. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help catapult us towards fame, fortune, and inevitably Betty Ford. Find us on Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Sign up for our newsletter for episode insights, reading lists, and extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, email us with your questions, thoughts, concerns, and we might just answer them in a future segment called <laughs> Penny for Your Thoughts. At thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thought spelled how? T-H-O-T. Thanks for listening. See you in a couple weeks. Bye, thoughts.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.